Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, we took a week off last week after the trade deadline. Uh, Chase was busy with school, and there really just was not a ton to talk about. Uh, so we figured it was the best to probably just take the week off and get a little more news to talk about now. Um, some interesting, some you know sad as well, but uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. And let's just get the, uh, uh, I would say, honestly, probably the biggest topic out of the way here this week. Uh, and that was the uh, sudden passing of Eugene, uh, Eugene Melnick, Ottawa Senators owner, uh, who was 62. And I, I guess it was kind of known or there was rumors for a little bit now that he was uh, definitely falling ill. So it wasn't sudden maybe to the team, but um, they definitely didn't um, didn't, you know, share that publicly, which is totally fair. Like, I, I can't blame the family or anything like that. But uh, yeah, condolences out to his family and kind of just shocking news in terms of this really wasn't reported. And again, I think fairly so, but like it, it took me absolutely for surprise last week when it broke. Yeah. This was one of those things where you're triple checking for the, the check mark when you see it on Twitter. Literally like Freeman retweeted and I have his notifications on and it was from the Ottawa account. And I checked three times to make sure it was the actual Senator's account. Yeah. And you know, it's, I don't think there's much to talk about right now. I think it's even now, you know, it's about a week since it happened now, but I think even now it's a little too soon maybe to be jumping into what's this mean long-term for Ottawa. Um, I, I can say that, you know, I've had conflicted feelings, obviously as a Senators fan towards Eugene Melnick, but I think my, my main feeling when it happened and even now is just, you know, I feel bad for the family. They lost you know, a thought like his daughter's lost a father last week. So, um, yeah, know, it's, it's, he's young too. Yeah. 62. And obviously he had the, um, I think it was liver or kidney transplant like six, seven years ago, which saved his life as well. Like he was, he was in risk under a decade ago already, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I really don't care to talk about much more than that. Uh, Ian Mendes had a really good column on it in the athletic last week. That was fantastic. Um, it, it, was, it was a really good read. If anyone has the athletic, I definitely suggest checking that out because I thought it highlighted perfectly um, kind of the ups and downs, you know, how Melnick came in, saved the team and, you know, some of the good that Melnick really could do. And there have been a lot of stories that come out of uh, uh, one thing was really clear is that, you know, when there was uh, someone in the Sens community was sick, whether that, that just be a fan or, you know, a, uh, uh, a family member of a media member, like he was someone who would actually reach out personally with a written note. And, you know, the, it was that. And then there was also highlight of the times when Melnick called Mendes Bush league for um, daring to criticize an organization that was uh, really bad for the second year in a row when they were trying to be good. So uh, definitely, definitely suggest reading that column out. I, I think it kind of summed up a lot of fans thoughts um, right away. And uh yeah, like I, I just I, at this point, I genuinely just don't have much more to say about it. Um, there's been rumors of maybe some people if the, if the family wants to sell that there might be people interested in buying and keeping them in Ottawa. But and, you know, where what that means for a downtown arena. But at this point, it's just one of those things where I think it's it's better to wait for a couple months while this sinks in and, you know, maybe revisit in the summer, to be honest. Yeah, Absolutely take give it some time to breathe kind of thing yeah i mean at the end of the day like they're they're still grieving right like i'm a, his family will still be grieving at this point right and rightfully so yep. so 
Um, yeah, obviously thoughts are with his family and condolences. Um, just absolutely shocking news for me. Like I just couldn't, I was stunned on uh, is it Tuesday or Wednesday? I think when it came out, I, I just couldn't believe it, but um, yeah. So um, moving on, uh, that was definitely the, uh, we get some other like actual hockey news to talk about as well. And uh, the first thing I wanted to touch on is Keith Yandel's Ironman streak comes to an end. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers who are way out of a playoff spot, scratch him. Um, this brings his streak to just, I think it was 988 or something like that. It was like, or 89, maybe it was like 11 short of 1000. Um, and there was some outrage online. That is for sure. What I want your take on this before I say anything, what, what was your take on the scratching? Should it happen? Like, do you care? Uh, you know, just give me your thoughts on the whole thing. And 989 was the official number. So I don't care. Um, I probably would have let him get hit a thousand because I mean, you can look like you're doing the right thing for the guy and it kind of helps you pseudo tank because Keith Yandel is, has been fucking horrible this year. So whether you care or not, it was almost certainly the best on ice decision to scratch him. I have no idea who they scratched him for, but I can be reasonably certain they're better at hockey than Keith Yandel. So this is the big thing for me. They scratch him for a 28 year old Nick Sealer who played 10 minutes of time on ice. Yeah, that's kind of unnecessary. I Sealer's also bad for, for what that's worth. Yeah, so I would have been way more in favor of this. And maybe, and to be fair, like maybe they wanted Sealer in the lineup anyways. And, you know, but like if they would have scratched Keith Yandel for like Cam York. Yep. They're big no, That's prospect. what I was just going to say. To get a look at a young guy, wouldn't even think twice about it. Exactly. In fact, I would encourage them to do it because it would make more sense for them to do that. And, and that's kind of, uh, Mike Rupp had a really good uh, thing about that. And, and part of it was just, you know, he went off, he's like, they, they are much better off to be playing the young guys. Now, they didn't play a young guy in this situation. So I, I kind of, you know, on one hand, I get it. Like, it's like, this kind of feels like an unnecessary headache because you know people are going to get mad at this quote-unquote code or whatever. But the other yeah. really good thing I thought Mike Rupp pointed out is when you're just letting this dude play just to let him play, it fabricates the award. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Definitely. And like, again, I didn't watch Doug Jarvis play, but he brought this up with Phil Kessel too. He's like, Phil Kessel's record should not be standing. It's cool that it is, but it should not be standing because he played one shift and then went to the birth of his kid. And uh, no one's blaming him for the birth, like going to see his yeah, kid. Priorities. But it shouldn't, you shouldn't conflate this. Like Doug Jarvis never did that. Yeah, it kind of like taints it for sure. Right, and so I, like, I'd do it too if I was in his shoes, but it definitely does. Sure, like, we're, but it's just you know he made the point of like we're just propping up these awards to just break the awards to say they're broken, not to actually like. And, and don't get me wrong, like Phil Kessel playing nine hundred and sixty straight games or whatever alone is just an insane feat. But yeah. last time yeah. he missed games was due to cancer, I believe. Yes, I believe like, so. Like, truly just, insane. Yeah, it's nuts. And, uh, you know, for the Kessel thing, I'm specifically happy that this means Kessel probably will just re-sign with the Coyotes this year, play 20 games with them next year, and have the streak broken. And then, yep. you know, the, he can go from there, and he, you know, he'll probably make 1,000. But, yeah, to me, it's one of those things where I go back and forth because 
I think that the overreaction of you owe it to Keith Yandel, they don't owe Keith Yandel shit. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Keith Yandel has played half a decade in Florida. Um, what do you do, like 10 years in Phoenix? And then he signs for basically league men in Philly at his age 35 season coming off an injury, I believe. Yeah. You went to an organization that owes you nothing. Like this was a strong possibility. Yeah. And the organization was already nice enough. They give him a full no, no move clause and no, a full no trade. And he's making 900 K this year. Yeah. This organization owes you nothing. I have to imagine this conversation was at least had between his attorney or as an agent, I mean, and the team. And if it wasn't, um, you should probably be doing your due diligence if it means that much to you. I don't know if he actually said anything about it, to be honest. But And the other thing is, it's not like they scratched him three games before getting the record. He has the f- record. Oh, does he? We're just mad about round numbers? Yeah. Like he beat okay, past never, Doug, he, that stuff. He broke Doug Jarvis's 964 in, on January. In January. Like he has the record at 989. That is what the record is right now. But people are pissed because okay. he's 11 shy of 1,000. Yeah, so it's just a round number thing. Yeah, literally. And like, I, like I don't know. I, I go back and forth because the only reason the only reason I say it is because like, yes, you probably could have scratched him for someone better than Nick Sealer. Yeah. Like, if your alternative is we got to get Nick Sealer in the lineup, maybe you just let them because. The only thing I can say is, and then I still think it's stupid because they, like, I think it's stupid that they probably would be upset, but I could see the dressing room not being real happy with this either. You know, like yeah, you a, long year, risk. a long year of losing if they, if they like Keith Yandel and like everyone seems to love Keith Yandel as a teammate or whatever. I've never heard anyone talk back uh, bad about him, but like, if you're playing, like, I'm just looking at their cap friendly um if, if you're playing any of your guys who are like under 24 you know whether that be uh wiley what they have some wild names on their defensive prospect list millman mason they are so mason millman I, I should say um wyatt wiley cooper zek any of these guys they're all on their under 23 that would make more sense to me but scratching him for a guy who is just not an NHL defenseman and never is or will be an NHL defenseman doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I, I will say that just kind of seems like you're trying to give yourself more of a headache than you really need. Yeah. Yeah, it it felt unnecessary. Although, like, I find it difficult to get mad at even if it was unnecessary. That's kind of where I'm at, right? Where it's like, it was definitely something you could have been smarter about, but at the same time, people losing their minds at Keith Yano that scratch probably should watch him play this year and realize he's been like he's one of, if not the worst defenseman in the entire league. He might be the worst aggregate impact player in the league this entire season. He has been so shit. And again, maybe you want to argue at this point, it's actually better for Philly to just tank for a spot. And he kind of helps you do that. But like. He's dead last in the evolving hockey's war, by the way. Yeah, And that, that does not shock me a little bit. So like, I, I, uh, I wasn't shocked because this feels like such an NHL thing to be people just getting absolutely pissed about. Yep. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, like. It just, when you're that bad. And again, like. If this was a good, if this was a team where he had played his entire career or whatever, and like was severely underpaid for them for a decade in his prime, and like 
they kind of like, maybe, maybe you could make an argument that they at least owe him this, right? Like just let him play out to the end of the year. And if he can find a different team next year, he can do that. Great. This is a team that just let him, they took a little just chance on him on a PTO in this summer. Yep. Yeah. Like, and like I said, what are the odds his agent had talked about this with the team? Got to be nearly a hundred percent. Right. And if they didn't, that's a bigger issue. Yeah. Right. Like, because coming in, even like, because Florida was expecting to compete. Did you really expect Keith Yandel on a blue line that also was supposed to have Sam Morin and Ryan Ellis on it full time to be like an everyday starter ahead of Sanheim, Provorov, you know, LOL Ristolainen, but they're not going to play him ahead of Ristolainen because of course, and like, honestly, like as much as we joke on Ristolainen, Ristolainen's way better than Yandel was this year. Yep. Yeah. Way better. Cam York, like, it's just like, you should have done the math on this blue line too at some point and realize, hey, there might be a time where this dude is the seventh or eighth man on the depth chart. Yeah, yeah, it's a strong possibility. And you just got to be willing to accept that, right? Yeah, exactly. And again, like they let him break the record already. Yep. It's, it, I would feel way worse if it was like a case of like he was eight games away from actually breaking the record. And even then, I still probably would be like, if, if the Flyers were scratching for some 22-year-old, I'd be like, yes, this is what the Flyers should be doing. It makes sense. But I would feel worse for him, at least. Yes. Yeah, it would suck a lot more for him. And it would make it more, way more unnecessary. Yeah. So, I don't know. Now, uh, Kessel right now trails Yandel by 21 games. So, he's going to hit most of that, I would assume, by the end of the year. And then it'll yeah. just be assuming he finds an NHL roster spot next year. Um, yeah, because the Coyotes have 13 games left this year. So um, he'll cut the gap down to, what's that, big eight, I guess, uh, by the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, so like I just, I don't know. To me, it was one of those things where I thought it was kind of a foregone conclusion that he was going to lose this record anyways. Would have been cool to say I played 1,000 NHL games straight. Sure, but, like, I can't imagine it's much less cool to say, like, it doesn't take that much shine off to me. Say I held the record for a little bit and played 989 NHL games in a row, which at the time was more than anyone. Obviously Phil's probably going to pass it, but. But yeah. Yeah. He was still a, a record holder. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, again, I, I'm not shocked that people are making a big deal of it. Not at all. But it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it feels like only in hockey does this seem stupid. Yeah. Yeah, this is very hockey. Like, I'm trying to think. I don't, and I don't know if he ever did say because the Hawks were so shit, or like the Atlanta Hawks were so shit. But like, imagine like basketball people complaining about that Vince Carter didn't get to play as many minutes as they wanted him to in his final year when he was just kind of clinging on and just being a mentor for the team. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, there's got to be some pride that kicks in, too, right? Like, it'd be mildly sad if the team just hated you, didn't want to play you, but they're like, fuck, here's the record, I guess. Yeah, give this guy his eight minutes time on ice or whatever. Yeah, the coach is playing you seven minutes a night against fourth lines, and that's how you do it. Like, that's, that would kind of hurt, too, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, even in his past five games, he's got 11-10, for time on ice. Like, you're just kind of limping to the end here, are you not? Yeah, it's pretty clear. I have to imagine he's aware that it's the 
but and, and that's the end too. yeah and that's kind of what goes back to me for like and this year he's averaging 14 minutes of time on ice so it's severely dropped over the past like little while which again rightfully so but to me it's just like I don't know. I, again, I never watched Doug Jarvis play. I don't know if by the end of his career, if he was just getting that, like that treatment as well or not, but uh, it just kind of feels like we're cheapening the award when it's like, Oh yeah, this dude played a thousand games, but by the end, he was literally barely ever playing. They just stressed him to dress him. I, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd actually never heard Doug, Jar- Doug Jarvis's name until this conversation came up. Like pretty, sure he's, pretty sure he's Seth Jarvis's dad, and that's where I heard his name from. Oh, really? Pretty sure. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like to me, it, it's just it's really not something that's uh, like guarantee for anyone who's like pissed at the Flyers coach or whatever is going to forget about this by the start of next year. Pardon, sir. Anyone who's pissed at the Flyers coach is going to forget about this next year by like the start of next year. Yeah. This, uh, if people don't want to sign in Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure this won't be the reason why people don't want to go to the 55 point Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, exactly. Like no one's like F that team because they scratched Keith Yandel when he was the most dog shit player in the league. They'll be like F that team because the team sucks, but the team's bad, expensive and old. I would be one wouldn't want to sign there. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's all I really had to say on the topic. Um, let's get to a signing here. Uh, Alex Goligoski signed a two-year deal, two million AAV, uh, four million total, thirty-six years old. So this will be in 37, 38 year old seasons. A little bit of a strange contract to me. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, hmm, why? Yeah, I, I'm wondering if this really has to do with the the uh, cap crunch more than anything that they're about to be under. Because, like, I mean, he's, his shoot, his goals four per 60 is through the roof this year, which is obviously, especially for a defenseman, the least sustainable thing. But it's yeah. not like he's having a bad year or anything. Like, he's been just kind of average on ice, and he's got 29 points in 60 games. So it's like he probably will provide more than $2 million of value. It just kind of... I don't know. Like it just kind of feels like a weird gamble to make on a dude going into his 30, 37, 38 year seasons when it's like, if this backfires, what are you going to do? Yeah. Cause it'll be a 35 plus contract. The answer will be either pay a pick to get rid of it or just sit on it, I guess. And you can't really sit on it. Dollars. But like they have $14.7 million in dead cat next year. Yeah, that's why it seems so unnecessary. They have so little in space. This seemed like a weird thing to just like, we need this. Yeah, like if he was a decade younger, I would kind of understand it because you're like, you're hedging your bets that he's going to be at least a $2 million player for the next two years. And for them, just having that guy under cost control is probably a valuable thing because you know you're on an extremely tight budget. Yeah, like literally if this was the Justin Hole contract instead of the Alex Goligoski contract. Yeah, exactly. But like, I don't know. Like it just kind of that's interesting. He's not a bad player or anything. Like he's it's perfectly just, like fine. Now he's 36. So then that's the thing, right? It's like I would be a little hesitant on signing that guy for one year in advance, let alone two. 
Yeah, like he could show up to training camp next year and already not be an NHL player. And that so, should not surprise people if it happens. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, you can't get anything by burying him in the minors or anything. So, yeah, it was a strange move. I don't, I don't think it was like bad or good, really. I'd probably lean towards like, I wouldn't have done it, but the only thing I can weird. think of, and like, for what it's worth, Dom's uh, model has him worth $5.5 million right now. Jesus. Yeah. That so, feels really aggressive. So I guess like even if you want to half that, you're like, well, we know we're getting value here. The only thing I can think of, though, is maybe they're looking to trade away one of their bigger, more expensive defensemen. But I can't really see that either. Yeah. They might be. I could see them getting rid. I think Kulikov could be an absolute goner this year, to be fair. Yeah, dump a pick to get rid of Kulikov. 2.25 million. Yeah, hope that like the Coyotes just want a depth defenseman for free, basically. Yeah. But yeah, like I just, it's one of those things. Like it's, this is not going to be the move that cripples them, even if it like this puts them in even more of a tighter cap situation than they we thought they might be in originally. This is not going to be the primary thing people look at because this is not $6.3 million for two guys per person who are not going to be playing on the team next year and then seven point through the fall, right? <laughs> but it's just it's just kind of odd. Yeah. Because what would Goligoski have to do to up his value next year? Or like even more so, how much more do you think he would be getting on the open market? Because that was what I was wondering. This was a who are you bidding against thing. Even if it's fine, like his results are pretty mediocre. And he's on a huge shooting heater. Jeez. Okay. Well, I just looked at Evolving Hockey has his predicted contract, if he would have went to UFA, is three years, 4.865. Holy shit. So are we just completely misvaluing him or what? Because they had one year, 2.4, two year, 4.2 AAV, which I don't, I guess to be fair, when you're getting to this age of defensemen, the comparables are probably some wild. <laughs> They're all like Hall of Famers. At this yeah, point. exactly. Right. So it's like, it's probably is skewed a little bit, but like, or it's like, you remember like that Trevor Daly contract? Yeah, because he's, wonder... he's still getting huge minutes and great points. So, like, the last defenseman to do that at that age would be, like, Giordano, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, even that Trevor Daly contract, like, he got, like, was it four mil for three years from a brutal Detroit team that knew they weren't going to need the space for three years? Yeah, 100%. And also there's a bit of a selection bias that the model will lean into on purpose because the market will contain – um information it can't have but it's like if you're if you are signing a contract that's like a at this age it's like a positive signal right yeah the giro danos of the world who tend to sign contracts at that age not the dimitri kulikov won't be signing a contract by age 36 or whatever right yeah and and so i wonder if maybe that's why they went that extra year because it's like they valued of like they thought if he you know because maybe their options were if we let him go to this summer, we're going to have to pay him three mil for one year. And that extra mil is, you know, probably very worthy to them. They're going to need every million they can get. Or they're like, 
we can just go two by two and that'll be, you know, saving us a million dollars, even if it's for one year is good. But like, I don't know, to me, it just kind of feels like you could probably replace what Golikowski brings for two mil. Maybe not. Like maybe it's easier said than done, but it doesn't seem impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm coming around to it a little more. <laughs> it I still feels it, unnecessary, but it, it just does feel a little on it. It's not like a horrible move or anything like that. It's just a little unnecessary. Like, what are the odds Jacob Middleton's gonna? How much do you think he's gonna make this year? He's a, he's an RFA. They have his rights. Um, very few points. <laughs> Probably not that much. I don't think he's gonna be like that that much worse than Galagoski. Do you think? I don't think so. His results are pretty average-ish this year, and he's way younger. Also, if you're saying we might be missing something, one thing that's definitely true is we look at um, age way more cautiously than NHL teams. That's very true. Yeah, like we are would be concerned about that, and they do not care usually. Yeah, like every free agency contract us or anyone else on hockey Twitter hates just because of our different view of aging curves in the market for NHL players, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I just looked it up. Middleton's most projected one is one by 750K. And like, I don't think like Middleton's not quite as good as Golgoski, but if you told me two years from now, one at two mil and the other at say one mil even like I think Middleton might be better, but I, I don't know. It, it's not a horrible move. It just, I, I saw it. I just went, why? Yeah. yeah exactly. So I, I, I don't know. It's not the worst thing in the world. They, they, it's going to be really interesting to see how they work around this cap um, for the next couple of years, because like they have a good team and they honestly, they, they will probably be bailed out by a couple guys on their ELC, maybe being able to help out. Like, I'm not a huge prospect guy, but also, uh, obviously, they have Marco Rossi, who's going to be huge. Um, uh, Matthew Boldy's on his ELC right now. He's got another Boldy's year been a on it. God. Yeah, he's been unreal, right? And, and you have his RFA, right? So, you know, you might even be able to bridge him. Um, I'm wondering if they're hoping Kalen Addison's ready for next year, 21-year-old that they got from Pittsburgh a couple years ago. He yeah, would be nice on his little puck-moving defenseman. Yeah, like he... He's played 15 games with them this year and had four points, but he's got 25 points in 31 games in the AHL. So it kind of feels like he's probably ready to go for next year, right? Like, Yeah, and he, he's got, like, great offensive priors all the way through. It seems like a pretty reasonable bet to think he could at least hang on a third pair as, like, your puck mover there. So, like, the downside to that is usually when you have those three or four guys we just named on their ELCs, basically, you can go overspend on your depth or whatever to, like, bring in – whether it's like a hell, like a Claude Giroux for three years at more money than maybe any other team would be willing to pay him. You can't do that now. You're just going to have to be happy that you're probably still going to be a pretty decent team with these guys, you know, out producing on their ELC. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I just, I want to bring that contract up. It was one of the, one of the pieces of news. I, I thought it was uh, a little strange. That's for sure. But uh, I, I, it makes some sense. Like it's not, there are going to be way worse deals than that signed on July 1st. So, yeah, absolutely. There will be. So I, I don't think you can be that, that angry. like you can't be angry about that deal. You can be like, I don't know if I really understand that, <laughs> but, but if you're angry about that, just go touch grass. Yeah. That's a, the floor is so low that you can't really get too worked up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
playoff race. The East, the Atlantic's getting interesting. Boston has really made this a 14 race now as we're recording. Boston, Toronto, and Tampa all have 68 games played. Uh, Toronto and the Lightning are tied at 93 points apiece. And Boston has 91, so they're two points behind. Uh, Florida is 69 games played, and they're at 102 points. They kind of still look like they're running away with the division at nine points ahead. But I believe they played Toronto twice and Tampa twice as well. So you drop either two of those. Like if Toronto beats Florida twice, there's suddenly a four-point swing where Toronto would be at 97, Florida at 102, or whatever the equal is. And then suddenly it's a little bit closer. But I would say more likely than not, the Panthers are going to run away with this division or wrap it up. But the Maple Leafs-Lightning-Bruin battle is going to be very, very interesting because none of those situations are great. And the odd man out is either going to have to play the Panthers or the Hurricanes. Yeah. Although, ideally, if you could... Not that playing the Hurricanes are good, but if you could get into the Metro, that'd be all right. Yeah, I mean, like, if you... If you and, and for that, basically, you probably need the Panthers to just outplay the Hurricanes because um, the Capitals have really fallen off of this. Uh, like, for every... And it still is just eight teams, in the, but it's seven good... And we kind of, you know, don't want to toot our own horn here, but we were kind of on the Capitals are probably the eighth best team by a long shot in this division for a little bit now. Whereas it's just obvious that this is the case. Yeah, there's there's actually sorry six good teams, one good goalie in the Capitals in the play in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, goaltending is the biggest thing that matters in the playoffs, right? So, you know, a team a team that's betting on their goalie staying as hot as he's been all year, I feel better than a team that just hasn't been that good all year. Yeah, team that skaters aren't even that good to begin with. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, like I, I I do agree where it's like if you're not, especially if you're not going to get home ice, like, I, I don't know how much home ice really matters, but it, it matters, you know, a little bit, right. To give you maybe that one or 2% edge. But if you're not even going to get that, I would much rather be the wildcard team than third in the Atlantic. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of an annoying little incentive you've given teams. <laughs> not that yeah, they exactly. can doing anything about it, but it's still kind of, as a fan of one of the four teams, it's mildly annoying. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, this division is so stacked it probably wasn't going to matter anyways. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the best thing would be just to finish first. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just win out your division. And, like, if, I'm just going by – if you go by points percentage – um, oh, and the lead. Oh, my God. This thing is so bad. If we just went by points percentage, you went 1 to 16. Here's the matchup right now. Florida, Washington, that kind of looks like it's going to happen anyways, unless Carolina makes up four points on Florida in the next 10 games. Um, then you go Carolina and Pittsburgh. That That is Carolina be playing Pittsburgh instead of Boston right now. Uh, right now it would be Carolina, Boston. Then you go yeah. Toronto, Boston, actually, by points percentage it would be. So Toronto gets Boston instead of Tampa Bay. Slight upgrade, but like not. Like, it's not like you're, like, jumping over the moon, yes, and then Tampa would play the Rangers. So Tampa's the one who would actually benefit way more from this. And that's actually just blind luck, too, because this could all change in a in a day or two. Like, if Boston jumps ahead of um, New York by points percentage, they're, a little, they're like, literally 2, uh, 2% below right now, six points, or 0.671 to 0.669. That's literally one game in overtime or whatever, right? Um, yeah. 
if Boston jumped ahead, then suddenly you're looking at the advantage of different because it's Toronto that gets to play New York and gets to avoid Boston or whatever. But the, the idea is kind of the same that it is basically just a cluster fuck of who's going to get what team. And you're probably going to get a very good team no matter what. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to suck no matter who you play. Yeah. Like as much as I would like to see them change back to one to eight for the division playoffs and everything like that. I think that just makes way more sense than trying to force these rivalries. It's not like, like, I don't think anyone who gets eliminated this year could be like the playoff systems. What screwed us. It's like, no, it's just the fact that four team, four of the best, like six teams in the league or seven teams in the league were in one division is what screwed you this year. Yeah, exactly. Just happened to pool there the same way it pooled in the Metro a little while ago. It's just going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Or West a couple years ago, right? Like, yeah. The old Chicago, LA. Detroit, uh, St. Louis, Detroit, and uh, San Jose. San Jose. Yeah, and all in the West. Like these things just kind of happen naturally over time. Yeah, Anaheim you could throw in that group too. They were always, you know, right yep. up there. But yeah, they would have yeah. been very good during that phase. So, but uh, it's definitely heating up in the East. In the West, it's uh, really interesting for them. Who wants to lose less for that last wild card spot? Um, at this point, it kind of looks like Edmonton and LA have both wrapped up their. Uh, their spot, um, LA's got 86 points and 71. Edmonton's got 85 and 70. Uh, the Golden Knights are in a playoff spot right now on points, but not by points percentage. They're at 82 and 71. Dallas is just outside, and they have 81 points in 68 games. Um, it's, it's been a tight battle. Vegas has really brought it on lately, but uh, um, there was a stretch there where Dallas had struggled as well, but they're up to seven and three. Now Vegas has won five in a row. Um, I really want to see Vegas get in. I think, but part of me would feel so bad for Colorado if Vegas gets in and that's when they get healthy with Colorado Vegas round one. It's like, congrats. You probably won the president's trophy. Here's like what most people had as the third best team going into the year. And yeah, you're the team that was third in cup odds. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, um, but that, that would be way more entertaining of a first round to me than Dallas, Colorado. Yeah, that would be a sweet first round matchup. Although it'd be kind of sad if it happens in the first round. And meanwhile, it should have probably happened in the Western Conference Finals, save for maybe Calgary. Yeah, exactly. And I guess we have to pretend like Winnipeg and Vancouver are in. They're not in. Let's let's be honest here. We can give this straight up. Yeah. Yeah, they're... I think Micah has Vancouver at like a 1% chance. I don't even understand why. Like they're three, four, and three in their last 10. And I think it was because this was more a week ago and people were like, oh, they're on a run. And then they lost a bunch. They've lost three in a row now. Um, well, the f- but- funniest, they were behind Vegas. It's like you're behind a team that's better than you up and down the lineup. You're not close. Yeah, exactly. And like everyone's super low on Vegas. It's like, okay, and you're worse than them. Like, they're By six a lot. points behind Vegas now. Yeah, like they're, they're six points behind and they only have one game in hand. So yep. like, yeah, Money Puck, which again, this can be a pretty aggressive. They have Vancouver at 1.3%, Winnipeg at 1.1%. Uh, they have Vegas up to 55% now. So that has got to be an improvement on what they were about a week ago before they rattled off five in a row. Because I know, I think Dom had them under 25% a week ago. I wonder if they don't build in a ton of priors then to still have Vegas only at 55. I mean, like, that seems about right, does it not? 
Yeah, actually, never mind. Three games in hand. I see because Dallas has eight. They're one point behind. Dallas is one point behind with three games in hand. So, like, yeah, that's true. Like, I yeah, don't know. So it is, actually, the pre, the priors are probably blowing out a shit ton. Then, never yeah, played. I just say because I would have thought if you're just taking these two teams at equal, like Dallas should be way. And Dallas is at seventy five percent, but I would have almost thought Vegas should be lower than fifty five, just because how hard is it get? Like, what are the odds Dallas drops three in a row? They're not, they're not like impossible or anything, but like in the NHL, especially with how games are played at this point in the year where people, both teams will usually just be fine to grind it out to a, a singular yeah. point, um, you know, but I think that is probably some of the models like being a little higher on um, Vegas because they probably have them as a pretty good team, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. I'm just trying to pull up Dom's real quick, see what he's got them at. Uh, Stanley Cup chances and projected standings. He has Vegas at Miss Playa. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to. He has Vegas at 44% chance to miss the playoffs. So 56 to make it. Okay. So, right, same thing, basically. Yeah. Oddly enough, he's actually got Dallas with less of a chance than Nashville. Or more of a chance to make playoffs in Nashville, only by a percentage, but hmm. but uh, and then like Nashville's been slipping as well. They're at 82 points in 68 games, so that's not the most like they're only a point ahead of Dallas as well. So that's not the most unheard of thing, I guess, either. It just depends if you like the Dallas team more than Nashville. Yeah, yeah, that would come purely down to which team your model likes more. Yeah, which I don't know, like they're both very mediocre. I will say Nashville's got a 25 goal differential. Dallas at minus three. So like that was what popped out to me too. But oh, I know Dom's model really likes like Rupe and them. Mm-hmm. And like it's not like goal differential is the most perfect thing in the world, especially for like a wild card team or whatever. Like I think you should be much more concerned if you're a team like the Kings, if you have expectations of making a, a run your plus three goal differential should be a little concerning to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. If you think you're legitimately good because you're second in your division or whatever. Yeah. But I, like, I don't think the Kings think that either. I think they're probably taking this as just, you know, oh, awesome. Right. Like house money. Exactly. But uh, goal differential around the league is hilarious. The Atlantic division, 83 for the Panthers, 51 for the Leafs, 36 for the Lightning, 34 for the Bruins. The fifth place Red Wings are at minus 71. Wow. That's <laughs> yes. such a fun duality. Yeah. And then it goes Sabres minus 55, Sens minus 40, Canadians minus 84. Um, but yeah, the, for comparison, fifth place in other divisions. The Islanders are plus four. Um, the Stars are minus three, as we said, and the Canucks are minus four. So usually you're like right around that plus or minus like four range, right? And then yeah, around the, even. Yeah, exactly. Like just a good game or a bad game away from being even. Detroit's rocking a minus 71 on an L6 as well. That is the second worst mark in the league. Is it not third worst for the Coyotes still? Yeah. And like they they did bank a ton of points early, I guess. But like, and they have 11 OT losses. But yeah, like that is crazy to me. Um, Yeah. Just, just unreal to be honest. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like when it comes to the uh, Western Conference, it's going to be interesting to see who gets this last wild card spot. I would say 
in order that I want to see it, definitely Vegas. Then, honestly, if I'm being real, I want to see Vegas jump up into the third top three in the Pacific and either of the Kings or Oilers slide down to a wild card spot because I'd rather just watch them be fodder to the Avalanche. Like, if the Kings make the, the second wild card, it would probably feel like a disappointment to them, but it would still be house money even if you lose in five to the Avs or whatever because you didn't expect to make the playoffs this year. Oh, absolutely. I'd look at it the way the um, – remember when the Leafs lost in six to the mm-hmm. to the Capitals? Every game went to OT, so it was, like, really encouraging or whatever. But they lost in six in the first round, and everybody was like, that was great. That's well, probably like when, how the Kings should look at it. When the Avs made the playoffs, was it 2018? And they actually right upset after Calgary were, that round. But, yeah, right after they had the, like, miserable 40-point year. Yeah, they had one of the worst seasons, like, ever. Yeah, exactly. But everyone kind of knew. Well, I mean, then funny, like the Avs turned out being better than we even thought they would be at that point. But I think even the team was kind of like at that point, it's like, yeah, we're going to build upon this. But like, we were just happy to make the playoffs that year. That's probably what the Kings should be. So in order in terms of like teams, I want to see make it. it probably, I definitely want to see Vegas in, but I'd rather not see them in play the Avalanche. Like I'd rather see them play. I guess both wildcard spots are really up for grabs. So I'd rather see them play even the Flames, to be honest. But um, and just save that abs matchup for a later time in the playoffs. But they would definitely be my first team, regardless of where they sit. And then, like, I think I'd go Nashville just because I like watching playoff games in their building. Like, the fans are rowdy. I Yeah, cannot, everything looks cool in Nashville. Yeah, I cannot care to watch either the Stars or Predators, though. Like, they're both boring to me. Yeah. Yeah, each team has some player. Like Yossi's, I always kind of like or whatever. But as a whole, the Predators are not a fun team to watch for a neutral observer. No, and like I, I will, like I'm a psycho. I watch every second of playoff hockey. So I will watch it. I just like, like I'm not going to go into any series and being like, yeah, I really expect uh, the Predators to do damage here tonight. No, no, not at all. And... Um, yeah, like, I just, I don't know, like, same with Dallas. Like, Dallas is just the, the 17th best team at Corsi 4 per 60. And the, where are they, 21st at Corsi against per 60. They're just the most average team in the league. Yep, they're perfectly forgettable. Yeah, Nashville's 14th in Corsi against per 60 and 21st in Corsi 4. So, again, just very average both of them have had goalies that have gotten really hot this at times this year. I guess maybe I choose Nashville just because I think Soros might be able to make a series a little more interesting. But I just, I don't know. I genuinely think if, especially if Vegas misses out, those wild card spots are going to be very, very boring. Like I could see both Calgary and Colorado just absolutely dummying the teams they play. Oh, and they should, right? Yeah, like, I, like Colorado will be, what, a 75% favorite if it's anyone but Vegas? The Leafs were 75 last year against Montreal. I wouldn't be shocked if their Calgary or Colorado hits 80% in the first round if they get a non-Vegas team. Yeah, I like I think that's totally good. They're right now already at 65% to make the second round by Montreal. <laughs> and that's with a decent chance of playing Vegas right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Something to definitely keep the eye on as we go down the stretch. I, I, uh, I don't know. I want to see that because the other thing too, I feel like if Vegas is going to miss, people are going to take all the wrong takeaways from this. 
like the narrative is yeah. be like this is why you don't go all in or whatever and not maybe this is why if you are going all in you don't sign a 29 or 30 year old defenseman or whatever in Petrangelo to like a 10 million dollar deal yeah yeah but you know it's just going to be the Eichel thing that people shit on yeah, or like the, even the getting rid of Marc-Andre Fleury or whatever, as if Fleury's been good this year. <laughs> yeah, even though Fleury's been bad. That's been like an unequivocal success, and somebody's probably going to write an article about why it proves that they don't know what they're doing or something. Yeah, now he, he is rocking the 958 over three games with uh, Minnesota right now, getting that look at Minnesota Fleury goalie go. bump. But um, yeah, still, like I like that literally will be the takeaway of like, oh, see, you shouldn't be wheeling and dealing or whatever, like, like, um, oh, I, I can Now I remember. We got one more thing to talk about. Speaking of Vegas, the Evgeny Dadanov trade not going through. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. This is so funny. Poor Dadanov. Um, but yeah, like, it's funny. This is who you feel. And, and to be fair, Dadanov would come back and just lit the league up. Yep. Well, like, he I'm was like sure. underperforming his like expected results pretty bad. So it's not even that surprising that he's been really good. That was the thing. Like on to the trade deadline episode, I'm pretty sure you said like this is a, like and like I was full team Anaheim should do this for Dadnoff because then they can sell their big pieces. Like they did exactly what I thought. It's just they got uh, obviously got um screwed because they, they were on Dadnoff's no trade list. But like you have been saying for a little while, it's like, yeah, Dadnoff's not a great player, but he's not as bad as he looks this year. He's just under like he's shooting like four percent. Yep. And that's coming back to her at a decent time for a Vegas team that needs to win games or else they're going to miss the damn playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So to, to me, we got to talk about the whole situation because obviously it came out and then people started playing and said it was Ottawa's fault. Uh, to me, the takeaway on the trade is there's two or three things. One, how did no one either in the Vegas Anaheim side, Anaheim's not to blame at all here, by the way, but how did no one from any of the teams involved or the league registry Ask figure out? Yeah, like figure out what this guy's contract. Because all you had to do was log on to Cap Friendly to know. Like, I bet you most fans, like, like hardcore fans, like fans that were listening to this podcast right now, probably knew he had some kind of trade protection. Yep, most people would. And if they didn't, and you told them there was a trade, most people would have found out within like two to five minutes because. If they were interested in it, where would the first place they go be? Yeah, they go check cap friendly. Check his cap hit and all that stuff, right? Like, yeah. So to me, it, it does fall on Vegas in terms of like, how do you not like how is that not one of the first things when you pick a guy up, just file away what his trade like yeah, is his 10 team trade list is. Put it in a locked Excel sheet on the GM's like computer or some shit because they were i guess they were claiming ottawa never actually told them about it but like if you're acquiring if if you're acquiring a dude's contract you need to be the ones who know what come with it it's not on the senators to be like oh hey by the way don't forget about this like (laughs) they would just assume you know it's written in his contract cap friendly a private website has figured this out you were up. T- you paid like what five hundred million dollars to be in the NHL five years ago. Like you can figure this out. I promise. Yeah. So then the the thing that I don't think is getting enough black is the NHL Central Registry. Didn't know. What the hell is the point of this thing? If we're gonna take nine hours to dissect trades or whatever, because that was a big re- like 
we didn't even find out about this till me and you finished recording at what 7 30 p.m on deadline yeah. night and the trade still hadn't all gone through because of this stupid backup at the registry and they're not even catching stuff like this they okayed the trade Yeah. So what's the point of having this registry that apparently checks all the details if they're not actually doing that? Yeah, I have no idea. It's truly. It's hilarious. Let's be honest. It is funny. And it is kind of funny that it happened to Vegas with just like how ruthless they are. Yeah. But like also like the people making um, and the the biggest deal about this is they can't bring Martinez or Stone back now. I don't actually they did bring Martinez back because they put someone else on the LTIR. They put uh, uh, Riley Smith on LTIR. So they ended, it ended up being fine anyways. But the biggest thing is basically they can't bring Stone back until playoffs if they need him now. But yeah, the other thing I didn't really understand about this is people like, oh, yeah, see, like Vegas got completely screwed. It's like they're just going to move him in, in the offseason. Yep. If yep. Anything, he's, like, he's gone, obviously. You right, have to assume, right? They paid a second to get rid of him. They don't want it. And I bet you there's going to be more takers in the offseason now that it's only one year. It's not one and a half years or whatever, right? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, to me, this was just an objectively funny thing. And it, it's, it's made even better. You know that if they make the playoffs, Dadnon's going to get the game winner, the series winner or something like that to move them on to the second round. Yeah. Like you just know that's gonna happen, but um, yeah, no, that I, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, the only other thing I was gonna say we could touch on is uh, Matthew sitting fifty. Um, the first leaf to do that in, geez, I don't know how many years was it? A ton. I think since the eighties. Yeah, if I remember um, correctly. Now he's going after Rick Vives' record of fifty-four, and like it seems like a given he's gonna break that basically if he stays healthy. Yeah. Oh. He's going to destroy that if you stay healthy. I, the, he, him and Drysaddle will both be shooting for 60 legitimately this year. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's, it's nice to see video game offensive numbers again, as opposed to like Jamie Ben winning the Art Ross with 89 points. Or whatever yeah, it exactly. Like Mac Duchesne is going to score more than that this year. I don't know. I'm trying to think who – when was the last time we saw someone score 60? Was it Ovi or Stamkos? I think we – had this question come up and it was Stamkos. Let's see, oh. it was. As, let me just look real quick. Steven Stamkos. I think it was 11 12 Stamkos. That sounds right because I thought Ovi's was like, was it 07 08? He hit 60. It's been a long time for Ovi. Stamkos was, yeah, 11 12. He hit exactly dot. 60. Yeah, 37 assists. That is awesome. <laughs> uh, and then Ovi. He didn't have 60, 65, yeah, actually, so, 07, 08, yeah. Yeah, so it was 11, 12, Stamkos. Yeah, so, so it would have been Stamkos the last time we saw numbers. And we're pro- we, we very well could have two guys hit that this year, which is really cool to think about. Yeah, that um, is pretty awesome. I'm getting to I'm, I'm going to see the Leafs play the Islanders on Easter Sunday. So there's a there's a chance I'm in the building when he breaks mm-hmm. that record, to be honest. It's a little ways out, but like, so they got one, two, three, four, five, six games between now and then. But like, he's at 51 right now. So I don't know, like three goals in his next six games isn't, that's half a goal a game. Like, that's not that unheard of. 
It's crazy that yeah. it'd be a bit of a heat, a cooler for him. Sorry, I guess it's seven games <laughs> actually. It's crazy that that would be a cooler for him. But on the flip side of things, I could also just as realistically be seeing him go for sixty that night. Yep, <laughs> which is uh, just absolutely incredible. Yeah. So Matthews at fifty-one. Uh, everyone's kind of like I thought it was funny that he got in the empty net. Um, people true. were people were using that as a good way to meme. On, uh, obviously, it doesn't, like that was the second empty net of the year. I'm pretty sure Gretzky's 50th and 39 was an empty netter and like Drysaddle and McDavid have both had like six this year. So it obviously doesn't actually mean anything, but yeah, Drysaddle's you know at 50 I was as well. thinking about when I saw that? What? Because appara- I learned like Ovi is one of the kings of empty net goals. Why the fuck do the Capitals play Alex Ovechkin when the other team has an empty net? Yeah, I don't know. This guy has, I don't know. We don't have historic numbers, but given that we've seen Ovi's, this guy's probably got like a bottom 50 defensive impact in the history of hockey. If you ran like a historic war model, why is he on the ice so often in these scenarios? Yeah. Cause it's not like he was like good defensively in his prime either. He was always so, known for being like bad defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's especially now he's like been a train wreck forever. It's also crazy to me that we still count empty net goals, the same weight as like five on five or whatever. Yeah, and that's like, how you talk it. yourself into Mark Shifley being a top 10 center. Well, exactly, right? Or like, what was the year? Um, who was the guy in the Rangers that left the Leafs and had like 12 empty net goals? He left the, he was on the tank Leafs. He got a billion breakaways and never scored on them. Oh, Grabner. Grabner, yeah, it was Mikel Grabner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had like 12 empty net goals the one year. So he's like technically a 20 goal scorer or whatever in 2016, but it's like, Literally over half of them were empty netters. He 27 goals. And he followed up with 25 the year after as well, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, like it just, I don't know. To me, it's kind of always always seems weird that we valued them the exact same. But I don't yeah. really know how to do that without like making it sound stupid. Yeah. Well, it's also like five on five versus power play should probably be weighed differently too, but. That takes yeah. like actual math you'd have to explain to people, not just uh, discounting this, empty net goals entirely. Would probably yeah, this guy was better. shooting on an empty net. Like I know people are going to come back with, oh, but there's an extra man on the ice. It's like yes, but you can still just ice the puck and get a goal for that. Yeah, I always learn with uh, whenever those debates come up is like the median person actually has no idea that opportunity cost is a real thing. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's still a goal. It's like, yeah, but it's slightly easier to score on the power play or so I've maybe heard once or twice in a career watching hockey or like a lifetime watching hockey. Mm -hmm. That that shouldn't be a huge logical leap for people or for an empty net goal and all of those things. Absolutely. Um, All right. Do you want to play a quick game of uh, the career game? I got a couple more categories this year uh, or this week. Sorry. Uh, As long as well as two that we didn't use last time. So uh, let you have your option. The first category is buy, buy, buy. Um, that's players who were bought out and then went and played with a different team or missed opportunities. Players that were traded and then became an all-star after they were traded. Uh, give me missed opportunities because I've been looking at Mason Marchman's fucking evolving <laughs> hockey right now. <laughs> so that's the kind of headspace I'm in. All right. Player one, two, or three. Uh, go, go number two. Okay. 
So uh, just for anyone who doesn't know how this game works. So obviously I just gave a player. There's three players in that category. Uh, Chase randomly selects one. I am going to give, um, uh, I will give his, the uh, trajectory of his career. So I'll list every NHL team that he has played on. Um, and then Chase from that can decide if he wants to guess. If he has no idea, which for a lot of them, probably right off the bat, you're not going to. Uh, he can have up to six clues. So his first clue would be the seasons played or you know how many years he actually played. Uh, second clue would be, is he still active or what was his last year active? The third clue would be, uh, what's his longest serving team? Fourth would be year drafted. Five would be uh, games played. And six would be, did he play any non-NHL teams? And maybe even for six, because I don't know if non-NHL teams really helps anyone. Uh, I'll also throw in his point totals. Okay. So that being said, he has we have the player here. Um, so this player played for the Dallas Stars, Pittsburgh Penguins, Nashville Predators, Vegas Golden Knights, Calgary Flames, Edmonton Oilers, and St. Louis Blues. James Neal? Yes, there we go. So that's an easy okay. one right off the bat. I gave you another one in this category because I think that was probably the easiest. If I, I forgot knew. he was on St. Louis at the end. A little bit messed with me, but like the exact combo of teams right off the hop. Was like, yeah. I, and I knew you were going to be with that one with Pittsburgh. Uh, let's try a different method. Yeah. Uh, Philly, Chicago, Dallas, Chicago. Philly, Chicago. Dallas, Chicago. Take the first hint. I have no idea. All right. So first hint is seasons play, which is, I'm just making sure that he didn't get 15 total NHL seasons. Huh. I might need another hint. Uh, his last year active was 2017-18. Philly, Chicago. Philly, Chicago, Dallas, Chicago? Yeah. So 2017-18. That was... Was that the Panarin playoff year? Uh, no. Panarin probably would have been earlier. Was that the year after the year after they made the playoffs then and Panarin was like the only player that did anything and then they fucking traded him in the summer? Because I, I think 17-18 was the year that Tampa got upset in the first round, which would have been the Panarin's blue Panarin Blue Jackets. Okay. Oh, give me this isn't a hint on your list, but was he one of like the big the core? Can't say. So it's probably yes then. Meaning, we'll go, it wasn't Hosa, obviously. It wasn't Seabrook. Was it Sharp? Is that a final guess? Yeah. Patrick Sharp is correct. Hell yeah. I had no idea he played on Philly. That's I didn't what either. With me. Apparently, he was drafted by the Flyers, third round, 95th overall back in 2001. Uh, Absolutely no clue. Yeah, I didn't know either. <laughs> probably parts of three years, and then was flipped to Chicago midway through the 05 06 year. And then obviously yep. played 10 years with Chicago, 
and then went to Dallas for two years. I do remember him signing, coming back to Chicago in 17, 18, because that was a big well, thing. That's what I was thinking. You know why I was thinking of this? Did you see Chicago brought the whole band back together? Yeah. I was just watching that video on Twitter like two mm. hours ago, and Patrick Sharp was obviously one of the like six dudes they had up on stage. And I knew he went Chicago, Dallas, Chicago. Yeah, so obviously Sharp made an all-star game in 2011. He was actually named the MVP, apparently. Um, but he was traded from Philly, so that's the missed opportunity. Uh, James Neal, I think, made a couple all-star games, but was moved a couple times. Uh, and then the other guy on this list was Blake Wheeler, who obviously was traded from Chicago and made a couple all-star games with Winnipeg. Blake Wheeler was on Chicago? Yeah, he was on the 2010 Cup team, wasn't he? I knew like Bufflin was on that team. When I think of big right-handed right wingers on that, or oh, sorry, team, I don't not traded. Chicago. Bufflin is the one I think of. Boston is who I meant. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The other Cup final teams in the 2010-2011 era. Yeah, that would, yeah, I was being gaslit over here. I, I'm <laughs> going crazy, but yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, so Boston traded him, and then obviously he has played with Winnipeg ever since. That one would have been – I was going to try and throw you off with going Boston, Atlanta, Winnipeg for that one, see if you knew who the hell oh, I was that talking would be fun. But, uh, yeah, so that's that category. Um, so you would have got 10, 10 points for the James Neal one. If you did Patrick Sharp, you got, what, two clues, I guess, he used there, so eight points. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, so next two categories, double trouble, that's two cups with two different teams, or keeping it local, and that is Toronto players from the Toronto-ish area. I kind of stretched a little bit. I just said wherever a broadcast would say he's a Toronto guy from. So like an hour and a half outside of Toronto, probably. They just count them the same way that like when I go to Mexico and somebody tells me they're American, I just tell them I'm from near Toronto. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, but yeah, those, those are our two categories. Which one do you want? Uh, We'll go double trouble. All right. Player one, two, or three. We'll go number one. All right. This player played for Anaheim, Pittsburgh, Tampa, and Chicago. Anaheim, Pittsburgh, Tampa, and Chicago. That's an annoying trio because it could have went Anaheim, Pittsburgh for the Cups, Anaheim, Chicago for the Cups. Or Pittsburgh, Chicago for the Cup, or Tampa. The Cups could have went in any order given that team, basically, right? Yeah. Repeat the teams again Anaheim, Anaheim, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Tampa. Anaheim, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Chicago. Okay, so that rules out the Chicago Dynasty teams, actually. So that helps a little bit, but I messed the order up. Although it's still the three teams in a row there, the Cubs could have been in any order, depending on when he last played. Um, I'm trying to think. It's Kunitz, right? It has to be. Yes, it is Chris Kunitz. Yeah. I was like, that. it took me forever, but I was like, I know the Ducks and Penguins had someone really well-known who won early Cups in... 06 with the wings and then early cups with the penguins. I remember yeah, I'm just saying apparently played two games with the Thrashers in 0506. I just read that as Anaheim as I was going by, but I guess he played two games with the Thrashers and got moved back to Anaheim in 0506. I don't know where the <laughs> hell happened there, but 
Uh, yeah, he won the cup, obviously, in 07 with Anaheim and then uh, Pittsburgh in 15-16, 16-17. Then went to Tampa because he was one cup chasing in 17-18 and then Chicago to end his career. Yeah. Yeah, because I knew he was in Tampa. I kind of forgot about his Chicago phase a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very forgettable. He had five goals and five assists in 56 games. Yeah. Rip so, to a legend. Yeah. Um, the other two players in that were obviously Patrick Maroon. That probably would have been an easy one. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if Big Rig was going to be one of the options here. I kind of want to give you this other one. I think you might be able to get this guy. Okay. Let's hear This it. is another, this is a fun one. Anaheim, Florida. Carolina, New York, Carolina, Ottawa, Minnesota, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Pittsburgh. Oh my God. Give me seasons in last year. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to have to count out the seasons here. Uh, Nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 16. 21 seasons. And his last season be, was 2018, 19. It can't be that many people. 21 seasons, 2018, 19. Repeat the teams. Anaheim, Florida, Carolina, New York, Carolina, Ottawa, Minnesota. Nashville. Matt Cullen. Yes. There you yes, go. Yes. The GOAT. Yeah. He won with Pittsburgh and also with Carolina, actually, in their 06 year. Yeah. The min- the Minnesota phase did yeah. for me. He still say, Matt Cullen and Chell for some reason. I didn't know he played for Florida, Anaheim, or New York, to be honest. I actually forgot he played with Ottawa for 21 games, apparently, in 09 010 or 2000. Yeah. 09 10. He's yeah. got to be one of the most forgettable players to put up this much volume in like league history well and he had like seven he had 730 points and 15 like he was a half a point per game player that's not bad no but he never had a single 50 point season no he was just he was the definition of uh bulk yeah he was just a a forgettable third liner the entire time basically all right, we'll do one more round quick. Uh, the last category I had was cheap deadliners, and that's players traded at this deadline for a fourth-round pick or less. So you can choose between that one, the Toronto one, or the buyout one. Uh, we'll go the buyout one. Okay, player one, two, or three. We'll go three now. I don't have them though. All right. This is definitely the hardest one, I think. This player played for Ottawa. Columbus, Phoenix, slash Arizona, I will say. Chicago, Arizona, Anaheim. Repeat the teams. Ottawa? Yeah. Columbus, Phoenix, and Arizona. He was there when they switched. Chicago, Arizona, Anaheim. I'm going to need the two hints here. All right. He played. He's drafted by Ottawa. 14 years in the NHL, and his last year active was 2017-18. 
I get any more hints. I'm, I'm right. pretty stumped on this one. How many more? There's longest serving team, year drafted, games played would be the next three. How many of those do you want? <laughs> Give me up the year drafted in case he was drafted during the sample that I'm working with right now. Okay, so I got to do some quick math here because he was with a lot of these teams for a very similar amount. And he was with first team was Ottawa, right? So I'm just yeah. pray it was Ottawa that drafted him. I'm gonna say his longest serving team was actually the Ottawa Senators. Okay. With Arizona technically being close, but I think Ottawa would edge it out in games played. And he was okay. drafted in the 2000 NHL entry draft in the second round, 55th overall by the Senators. Oh. God, so not even close to the sample. I want to say somebody like Chris Phillips because he played forever, but I'm pretty sure he was like a second overall pick. Um, Like Chris Neal? No, he was never on the Coyotes. I have no idea. One game's played? Yeah. 1,046. 1,046 games played. I feel like I'm going to be really mad that I didn't get this one. You're definitely going to know this one. Ottawa to Arizona is someone really obvious, and I can't tell who it is. I don't know. All right. Well, I'll give you his his only his uh, junior team was the Quebec Ramparts and Victoriaville Tigers. I'm going to assume that doesn't do too much. His AHL teams yeah. were the Binghamton Senators. He had 228 goals, 287 assists for 515 points in 1,046 games. He played 97 career playoff games, had 14 goals, 14 assists for 28 points. Uh, I would say most famously is known for being acquired as the veteran for one cup winning team at the deadline. And given the other or three. Okay. Repeat the team. So it's Ottawa, Columbus, Phoenix, Chicago, Arizona, Arizona, Anaheim. Last year, 2017, 18, you said 14 seasons. So that is, oh yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks. So that'll be what the 14. Antoine Vermette. Yeah, there you go. Antoine Vermette. That was tough. That that was definitely the toughest one in the category, but that, that was good. I like that you worked your way to it. Uh, yes, uh, obviously very fa- – I'm pretty sure they famously traded a first for him. It, um, it was a first, yeah. Yeah, which If it has, wasn't a, a gross overpayment, I still wouldn't have known who it was. But I remember not, it specifically because it was a horrible trade. Yeah, because he put up zero goals and three assists in 19 regular season games and four goals and three assists for seven points in 20 playoff games. But they won the Cup, so they don't care. Uh, I don't remember really his Anaheim career, other than I do remember him going Cup chasing because he made the conference final with them in 16-17. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah that I was definitely... That 16-17 Ducks team was good, too. Mm-hmm. That was definitely the hardest name on the list. Uh, the other two were Martin Jones and Corey Perry. Perry probably would have been an easy one. Maybe. Oh. I was Anaheim, Dallas, Montreal, Tampa. Not as straightforward yeah. as I would have remembered. But I think, no. once, especially if you wouldn't have got it then, 
getting because I I forgot he played in Dallas. Other than like yeah. I do remember the cup run, I guess. But in any been, anything revolving around Anaheim would have tipped it off immediately. Yeah, well that that's the thing. As soon as you got the longest serving team, when I said Anaheim Ducks, and it's like ten yeah. years, you would Anaheim to sure. Montreal. 10 years, easy Corey Perry. But it, it actually probably would have taken more hints than I would think. Yeah, and then Martin Jones, I was just hoping to throw you off because he stopped it. He would, he was with L.A. first, which I always forget. He went That one LA, I would have got. L.A., San Jose, Philly. Yeah. But, yeah, so those are the other ones. I'll keep the other two categories for next time then. we got keeping it local, which is Toronto, around the, the area, and cheap deadliners, which uh, – Feel like the longer you put that one off, the harder it's going to be for you because that is three, <laughs> three journeymen. That is for sure. All have played significant time in the NHL, but uh, yeah, not exactly household names. Um. All right. Well, hope everyone enjoyed that and let us know if you uh, got the guys while you're playing at home. If you got them quicker, or if you would have needed more hints than Chase did. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, as always, you can find Chase's work on uh, at Action Network dot com and him on twitter at cmhockey66 i actually have a bit of personal news i am stepping down as the managing editor at lastwordonhockey.com but i think it's exciting in terms of personal news because this should actually free me up to write more and i will be staying with that site so uh, you can still find all my work and and all the great work at lastwordonhockey.com and me on twitter at nhl sends and stuff Uh, thank you everyone for listening we'll be back with you next week